Welcome to On the Line, a podcast for tennis players, coaches, and fans. I'm your host, Jenny Robb. Today on the line, we have Neva Chuck. Today, um, we are lucky to have her uh, and have her provide some uh, provide some insight um, about uh, the transition between playing in juniors and then the college journey and then life after college uh, turning into a, a teaching pro um, and a coach of a college team. Uh, Neva, thanks so much for being on the line today. Thank you for having me. So, so tell us a little bit about that transition. You, you, you played juniors. You had a very successful career and uh, that, that uh, also is very successful in college. And now you coach the, the women's team and you also are a tennis pro at a um, great club here in Birmingham, Alabama. And um, so tell us a little bit about that. Well, um, it was a whole process, to be honest. Um, transferring from juniors to college was actually a transition that I didn't think about when I was in col- uh, in high school. Uh, so in juniors, I played because I had the dreams of going pro. I was part of the ITF, the International Tennis Federation. Mm-hmm. And um, the program was, was great as far as getting me better and getting me prepared for tough, tough matches and great competition. But however, I didn't think... Um, that college tennis was a thing. Well, I didn't know about college tennis until after, until a year after I graduated high school. Wow. Um, so yeah. I, got, I graduated high school at 16. And after that, I wasn't, I was no longer with the ITF. So I kind of had to dabble in some things and play some futures here and there, play some tournaments, try to figure out what I was going to do since I was <laughs> young. And I thought I was pretty good. Um, but, but playing in Africa, uh, where tennis is not that big and where sports are not put on the same pedestal as studies. You know, I didn't have a lot of financial support, therefore I couldn't do so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, but after a few tournaments, um, I got an Olympic grant uh, to train for the 2012 Olympics in London. And thanks to that grant, I uh, found out about Club Meta Academies in mm-hmm. Florida, mm-hmm. which uh, I trained at for six, seven months. And after that, it was actually during that whole of training there that I found out about college tennis. Mm-hmm. My coaches, they opened the door for me and told me, hey, there's this thing that you could be doing and still play tennis if you don't, you know, if you don't make it pro, that's okay. You can still go to college and do those things. So it was kind of a last minute, um, last minute decision, last minute thinking. So me not knowing that much, I didn't do a lot of research about colleges. I just kind of jumped in, got a scholarship and went to Samford. Um, um, and the transition was, you know, it wasn't very hard for me going from um, junior tennis to college tennis, per se, because I was in a boarding school for tennis mm-hmm. uh, for three years. So it was a little bit of the same. Um, it was actually a lighter schedule, if you ask me, for me in college than it was in juniors. So I was I was excited about that break. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, I could breathe sometimes and... The team aspect was very different. The um, the coaching was very different because in juniors you're not allowed to have a coach on the court. Uh, you don't have teammates per se. So that was it. Was very interesting and intriguing transition. Um, did you like having a coach on the court, or did you prefer being out there more on your own, like you were in juniors? Personally, I prefer being on my own. Um, but I found it to be helpful from time to time, just for support, you know, not, not so much for 
right. uh, coaching per se. There, there are some times when, you know, when you have absolutely no idea what to do, of course, a coach is um, <laughs> very important as far as, you know, they can see things from off the court that you may not be able to. Yeah, um, another set of eyes, see it, see it differently. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, but I really... I was really more fond of the emotional support and then just being there and be like, Hey, you've got this, you can do it. You're good. You know, uh, just keep pushing. So that was very important to me. I, the think coaching, I was, I was stubborn. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I think you hit on something so important. Um, they're saying the emotional support or, you, you know, because again, you're in college, you've already gone through ITFs and juniors and you're a good player. And that's why you're on scholarship at, in college. And, not that you can't learn more, certainly. I mean, you know, the top players in the world, uh, you're always, you know, working on their game. But but for you to say that it was the emotional support that really made a difference to you, I think that I think that's huge. I think it's huge. Um, you know, so do you take that into now as you're an assistant coach uh, for the team, you know, on a, on a changeover with one of the, the females, you know, you're probably – you know, what do you say? I mean, are you, are you talking tactics or are you, or are you just giving emotional support? Well, you know, it's, it's different from player to player. Um, there are some players on the court where I know that tactically and uh, strategically they know what to do. Mm-hmm. And whether it works or not doesn't really depend on their uh, ability to execute it, but more of them actually believing they can. Um, so you have, uh, you have some players who actually have to go and be like, hey, uh, this is actually what you need to do because I know they're strong mentally, so they don't need me to, you know, baby them or tell them everything will be fine or anything like that. They just want me to tell them what exactly to do because mm-hmm. they got it. Uh, mm-hmm. Whereas, whereas you have some girls, um, they just want you to be there and tell them that you know they can actually do it. Uh, and it's and it's not it's not per se a lack of confidence that they have or um, the inability to think that they're actually capable of doing so, but it's more like you know just that support, that little push. Um, to tell them, hey, it's it, it's okay for you to do it and maybe miss a few, but don't stop. Um, so I think we all need that reminder sometimes, not just in tennis, in life too. Uh, oh, I agree. So I agree completely. Um, so it does, you know, it's it's very different from player to player. You know, just that simple statement of I believe in you. You know, I mm-hmm. I, I believe that you can do this. You know, you can do it. Yeah, you know, just just having that that little bit of, of encouragement um, is it goes a long way. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> so, so how would you say you maximized your college career? Well, I literally did everything I could possibly do. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, I played as much tennis as I could. I did miss three fall seasons, however, which was not very fun, but. Um, I played as much tennis as I could. I took as many classes as I could. Um, I I wasn't very big on the social aspect, however. I I didn't. I wasn't sure how to make friends. Um, I know that sounds very weird, but yeah. <laughs> I just wasn't sure how to go out there and be like, "Hey, you want to be my friend?" Um, I did. I mean, I did make some people my friends. They didn't really have a choice about that. Uh, I just thought they were really cool, and I was like, "Well, you know what? That's it." Um, but. <laughs> I mean, I, I worked all through college. I had multiple jobs on campus, off campus. Um, what did you do on campus? Uh, I worked at an information center. We had a 24 hours um, continuous service where, you know, students could call, parents could call, ask uh, a few informations, different departments and stuff like that. So I worked there. I was also a tutor for French and Russian classes. Oh, wow. Um, 
speak, I, I love that. Do you speak those languages? Yes, yes. Russian is my native language, and um, I went to school all throughout high school in French. Wow. So I'm also a native speaker in that. That's awesome. You know, that's one of the things that I'm always so impressed by. Like, you know, I mean, I'm obviously just a lover of sports, but, um, you know, after maybe a football game or a baseball game, if they're interviewing players, you know, they're, you know, emotions are running really high and, you know, but with tennis players, it's like they might do an interview when those emotions are running high right after a match and they might do it in a second or third or fourth or fifth language. I mean, that's, that's, that to me, I'm just like, tennis players are smart. (laughs) (laughs) Oh no. It's, but, but, you know, I guess it's the, it's one of the benefits of being international because I mean, back home we speak French, but then you come to the U.S., you have to learn English, so you don't really have a choice. You have to adapt. Um, so here, there isn't really that uh, diversity that I see within the country. People speaking different languages. So I guess it's it and it's it's part of the environment, you know. So, so you so speak cultural. four languages: Russian, German, French, and English. I don't. I actually don't speak German, but um, it's Russian, French, English, and I speak uh, two tribal languages from back home. Oh wow, that's really. Okay. Okay. Now, when we when we talk about the physical aspects, I mean that's the the big obvious one. Um, what was your? You know, I know you you just said you played as much tennis as you could, and I know that that involves a lot of off court uh, training as well, and then the recovery. What what was? Take us through a little bit what that was like for you. Um. So. It has to be rewind back a little bit, Junior, so I'll give a little backstory here. Uh, so in in Juniors, we did a lot of preparation, so a lot of getting ready for a match, mm-hmm. a lot of getting ready for big competitions, get ready to play five straight, five straight weeks of matches and tournaments and stuff like that. But we weren't really taught about how do you do afterwards? What do you do? Mm-hmm. How do you... Um, how do you get um, stretched out? How, how do you stretch? How do you cool down? The things that you need to do, your diet and things like that. So that's something that was missing in my junior career. So transitioning into college, it wasn't as big either. Now, uh, throughout the years, I think that like the department at Sanford is doing a much, much better job of you know, mm-hmm. having the right people help the students do the right things after competition. Mm-hmm. But when I was there, it was we weren't so big on it. So I still wasn't um and obviously i mean at 18 19 that was not really my worry about you know what i was supposed to eat and how i was supposed to stretch i didn't care much about that because <laughs> i never did so it was hard for me to just implement that in there um so i think it was a lot of what to do after after the matches you know when i was sore when uh, i had little pain here little pain there which it's extremely important if you know if you actually of how it affects your body afterwards. I mean, I had two surgeries. I had um, a, a perineal tendon repair on my left ankle, and I had um, a shoulder tendonosis on, on, on my right shoulder. Mm-hmm. These things, like, to this day, I still have pain. You know, uh, I'm, I'm under constant pain, but it's becoming part of my daily routine. And I'm pretty sure that if I did the right things, well, I mean, I was told by surgeons and by trainers that if I did the right things, um, prior to all my matches, if I did the right things after all my matches, starting in juniors, these things wouldn't have happened. So now I have these chronic pains that I'm going to have for the rest of my life just because I wasn't uh, taught the right things. And also because I didn't bother looking them up, you know? Right, right. And you're, um, you're right-handed, right? Yes, I am. Yeah, so you're, you're right shoulder, right-handed, yeah. So 
you know, we're, we're kind of watching a, a change in tennis right now that's been happening over the last couple of years. You know, uh, you know, we see Federer and Nadal and Serena, you know, these players at the top of the game that are um, right around my age, actually, but, <laughs> but uh, which would be considered older by traditional standards. I mean, they're getting into their, you know, late, mid to late 30s. And they're still at the top of the game. And I think, you know, again, you're hitting on a point that's so important that, you know, they have now, obviously, these people at the top of the game, they have people that are cooking specific food. I mean, we all know Djokovic has his, you know, gluten-free diet. You know, everybody's paying attention to, um, you know, the recovery like you're talking about that maybe wasn't enforced or, or enforced is the wrong word, but, but just it, we weren't informed enough about the importance of recovery and you know, sleep, stretching, you know, these, there's a million things. Um, But, you know, I I mean, I think that that's why the longevity of these players, it has a lot to do with, with, you know, not their tennis necessarily, but, but what they're doing to preserve their bodies um, and then their mental and emotional off the court. Yes. Yes. No, you're correct. You know, I just, you know, I think, I think, uh, you know, everybody has their physio now and, <laughs> um, but, but like you touched on with, you know, kind of the mental and emotional part too. I mean, I remember, um, when I was competing that sometimes after tournaments, uh, obviously I would be physically sore or, you know, depleted, but, um, you know, mentally I, I remember being, being just worn out because, you know, if, if you have to, play a certain player where you have to play a certain way and you have to really focus and you're, you're kind of honed in on your game plan. And that, that's exhausting too. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. So, so how do you take those things into now you're, you're, now you, you are still training and competing and you're also coaching. So how do, how do you kind of balance those things? Well, um, I do compete. However, I do not train. (laughs) (laughs) And it's not, it's, it's not, it's relatively by choice. Um, Because I I coach so much, uh, when I'm on court, sometimes it's six, seven hours straight. So Mm -hmm. I have to incorporate my training into all these things that I do. So Mm -hmm. when I'm feeding, um, I'm always kind of working on some type of balance exercise just for myself. So I would feed a certain way with an open stance, maybe in in, in sort of the semi-squat and kind of working. So as I'm teaching the kids and I'm teaching the adults and all of that, I'm trying to try to help my body stay in the right posture you know I kind of work the small muscles that I can when I'm hitting with the kids for example I'm I don't want to be that coach you know just kind of standing and just feeding balls or just hitting balls you know the with, with the least amount of possible effort and stuff mm-hmm. like that but mm-hmm. I'm trying to do the proper techniques the proper movements as I'm helping the kids do that same thing because it's I think it's a win-win the kids watch me do the right things you know and obviously they copy because that's what kids do mm-hmm. but yes but but also I am perfecting my my technique and I'm perfecting my movement so at the same time I'm helping them get better as I get better it may it may not be my ideal training situation which also it shouldn't be because it's a lesson Uh, but but I try to benefit from the lesson as much as the kid does um most most time it's a little less which it's also how it should be Um, but, but you know um 
I think in, in everything I do daily, I could train myself physically doing something, you know, the way I sit perhaps in my car or the way I sit at lunch and dinner with, with my, with, with, with my friends, I, um, adopt a certain posture when I am, um, feeding balls, when I'm picking up balls, when I am teaching them a serve, when I'm doing things like that. Um, so as I want them to get better, I'm also learning from them because, you know, you have some kids doing different techniques and their body moves different. Um, and, and I met some, some people with the same ankle problems that as, as, as I did and the way they move to, um, relieve, relieve pain or keep themselves from getting any kind of pain. I get to learn from them. It's like, Oh, so why did you do that? Why do you think you're doing that? You know? So it's, it's always a learning experience for me as it is for the person that I'm teaching. Um, so that's kind of how, how I train. Uh, but, um, that's yeah. awesome. That's yeah. awesome. I mean, I, I, I love how you said, you know, that, you know, children, you know, imitate, they copy. I mean, everybody does. Um, and so I, I have this funny little story. I was working with a, a group of, uh, young, young ladies and, um, they were, you know, not, not quite ready for league play yet, but, but getting towards that, that, you know, stage and, you know, I don't, I don't do a whole lot of ball feeding and, you know, I mean, I'll feed that, you know, do some hand feeds and things like that. But we were just having a little mini tennis warm up where I'm hitting with them. And this one, one of the ladies goes, why are you jumping around so much? <laughs> and, and I didn't realize that I was doing it, but, but it's like, you know, step, step, split, step, you know, step, step, split, step, even, even in mini tennis. You know, and, 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 and so like you said, you learn from your, your lesson and go, oh, you know, I'd never talked to them about, you know, your, you know, if the ball's in the air, you need to be moving and, you know, split step, before, you know, people, you know, there's a great debate about when to split step, but, but, you know, I mean, but, <laughs> yes. moving, split step, moving, you know, but, but it's just so funny. I'll, I'll never forget it with my slave. Like, why are you jumping around over there? <laughs> <laughs> It becomes yeah. a habit after a few times. <laughs> yeah, and you go, oh, we've never talked about that. You know, I've never, I've never been like, oh, you know, you need to be, you know, you don't wait for the ball to bounce to start moving. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> always moving. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, I mean, we we can learn from our lessons, and it helps helps us as well. Um, so you are, I'm, I'm so excited that you are going to speak at our upcoming Alabama USPTA workshop. So thank you. Thank you for giving your time. Oh, it's my <laughs> um, absolute pleasure. <laughs> and so we're going to be get, going more in depth about some of the things that we've been touching on so far. But, um, you also, uh, said you wanted to talk a little bit about sort of the female journey and, and what that has been like for you. Uh, so, so, you know, it is different from males. I mean, you know, everybody has their own journey individually, but, but it is, it is different on the, on the female side. Um, can you tell us more about that? Uh, yes. So, um, I, I actually thought of that topic from personal experience and from all of my girlfriends that, that I know who played college tennis. Um, it's, and also I guess being international a little bit, you know, having an, an outside perspective of what may be going on. It's, um, it, it for sure is different um, being away from families and being in an environment that maybe you would not have been in in juniors. You know, if you never played high school, sorry, high school tennis or middle school tennis, have been in a team environment and things like that. And um, I think it's also experience is also different whether you have a female or a male coach um, and assistant coaches, obviously. So 
there there are a lot that come in as being a woman in sports and also a woman in sports in college. Um, there are a lot of things that um, we may not think of. You know, it's it's not always related to tennis. It might be uh, academics. It might be things outside of tennis, such as you mm-hmm. know, boyfriends, girlfriends, and things like that. Obviously, yeah, come yeah. in our daily lives. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, it may be things like sororities and different groups that you attend on campus and um, mm-hmm. your daily routine, your social life. So all of these things, one way or another, affect your tennis and affect your 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 team dynamic and affect just how you see yourself and how you grow as an individual. Mm-hmm. Um, from a personal from a personal uh, background, I I I know for sure that all of these things outside of tennis have shaped me into the individual that I am today, but have shaped me into the tennis player that I am today. Mm-hmm. Um, the people that I, I hung out with um, off the tennis court, the things that I did off the tennis court, definitely had an input on how I mentally approached my tennis game. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if, if things were going uh, a little bit south in my social life or with the boyfriend or you know with my grades a little bit I did my best not to let all these three things kind of interfere with each other so my social life my school and uh my sport mm-hmm. but it did at some point you know and so I, I I remember my my junior year which was um probably the year that we did really well in tennis it was not my best times when it came to relationships mm-hmm. uh, at all so the, all that frustration and all that negativity and all that um kind of sadness that I was feeling off the court with a boyfriend and with some friends mm-hmm. I used the tennis court as my outlet as to you know that was the only point where I, I was happy and I was enjoying what I was doing and yes. I was um that I I felt like I needed to be strong and so all those negative um, thoughts, I transformed them automatically into positivity when I was on the tennis court. And and I think my teammates saw that in the way I played. I mean, I played great that year. Um, yeah. We did we did much better than we did the year before. And, and, and I felt like it made me a better teammate because I I, I learned to cherish um, I, I learned to cherish them more just because I had problems with other relationship, uh, relationships in my life. So I think, you know, different things like that, it may, it may sound like it may or may not make sense, <laughs> but um, in my in my opinion, looking at different aspects of a, a woman's um, a woman's tennis player in college is extremely important. Um, just because you know we're still growing as as individuals, this is a yes. crucial time in yes. in in our lives. You know, mm-hmm. we're trying to figure out what we'll be doing in three four years right. when we get out of school. Uh, Will we have a boyfriend that we plan on get married to? Will we have a big job in a bigger city? Will we try to go pro? You know, um, what do we do next? And all these little steps, they help you become that stronger pers- person, that that better person, that um, may- maybe versatile person, you know, where you want to try new things and get a different job and maybe play some more tennis on the, at the same time or coach. Or, um, so there's just a lot that comes into it that I probably cannot get in depth in five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> But um, no, it's but it, true, you know, it's it's huge. It's it's a very big area that I think needs some looking into, and that would definitely help coaches. Uh, it would help coaches kind of approach because I mean, coaching women is hard. Um, yeah. It is hard. We we are um, a lot of good work. I'm gonna say, <laughs> <laughs> guys are not a story. Uh, I, I do not know on that subject. Uh, 
but that thing's def and, and and I know it's not a coach's job to to be a babysitter, which is definitely not what we want them to be. Uh, but it's important to know that because the mental state, the emotional state of your players is extremely important because yeah. it plays it plays in everything. Stra- strategy is one thing. Everybody can learn how to swing a forehand, but how to swing it right hundred times, you know, without letting any emotions affect it. Uh, that's that's another story. That, yeah, that's a whole that's a whole other deal. I mean. You know, I, I like what you said about, you know, sort of this idea of, of checking your personal uh, issues, you know, your personal struggles sort of at the gate of the tennis court, you know. The, and I think that you said the word outlet, and I love that word. And I think it's so important for, you know, females, but but females and males and, you know, just all people. I mean, we all have struggles. And to have an outlet where you can – just say, okay, I'm leaving this outside the gate today, and I'm going to go and I'm going to play tennis, and and I think I think that's really healthy. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and this should be that positive thing in your life. Oh, for sure, you know. Well, and so, okay. as as far as you know, you you realize that you are a role model, not only for the the, the college women that you coach, but also for the the young kids that you coach at the club where you work, um, you know, not just in, you know, like the silly story I told about jumping around, but, <laughs> you know, how you're handling yourself, how you, how you uh, react to, you know, other colleagues or, you know, parents or things that are kind of, you know, people, these kids are watching, you know, these, these athletes are watching and it's, it's a huge responsibility. Um, so how do you, how do you sort of keep, keep that responsibility monitored oh wow um well i'm a firstborn so i have two younger brothers looking up to me so i think i already have that pressure since (laughs) since Doug came along uh but um you know i try everybody that that i coach i try to create a connection with them and it might be through whatever um you know it it doesn't have to be just tennis it can be just you know maybe we have we both have cats or (laughs) we both come from the same continent or Mm -hmm. um you know we just like the same type of racket you know anything like that so you Mm -hmm. want to be able to connect with with the person that you coach and when you do that you learn about what they what they want to accomplish whether it be in tennis or in life you know they they begin to trust you and you mm-hmm. need to trust them. So there needs to be this established trust. And from there, expectations start rolling in, which uh, I think ex- expectations sometimes are good, sometimes aren't so much. Because, um, um, you know, sometimes you set yourself up for failure with, with too high of expectations and things like that. But um, once, you get to, once you get to establish a trust with, with another person that you may coach or that coaches you, it gives, it starts creating that respo- responsibility of keeping that trust going, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. So uh, whether it be, you know, we want to get the forehand, um, you know, I'll, let's say a goal is get your forehand 100 times in the same spot in six months. So how, <laughs> how do we get there? You know, if you can, you need to be able to trust me that I will give you the, ne- the necessary tools for you to do so. But also, I have to trust that you will actually put those tools to use. You know, so as as long as we go on this way, everything you will be expecting me to give you the right tools. So that accountability, that responsibility that we have both created allows me to keep myself accountable, but also keeps you accountable. You know, um, so I try to kind of look at things that way. Uh, so once 
and and I do that with even my youngest, my four and five year olds. You know, uh, I expect you to come to practice and not drink water for twenty five minutes out of the thirty minutes that we have, and you know, and you expect me to teach you a nice shot that we're then going to play games with. You know, so we have our little routines, our little um, goals that we set every day and and every lessons, and that helps me stay accountable for myself, but also kind of you know because i know down the road we have set already so many goals that we have to achieve and i think kids enjoy that um that you know we have small goals but we also are able to have fun i know adults do for sure um but i think the the fact that i try to invest myself in every single person um it just i don't know i don't think i just work and think about being a role model I never thought of it that way, mm-hmm. but I think the fact that I try to stay responsible and accountable for everything I do with every single person um, just creates that trust that people are of, often sick um, when they work with someone. Well, I, I think it goes hand in hand with what we were saying, you know, at the beginning of this conversation about how, you know, if someone just can can sit next to you and say, I believe in you or before a match go, you know, you can do this, you know, that, that, that encouragement, if if somebody doesn't have the connection and the trust with you, those words can ring hollow, maybe, uh-huh. but if it's like, if you have that relationship, you have that connection, like you said, and then that person tells you those words, it's completely different. And you go, oh, wow. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, you know, you can say, you can say role model, you can throw around a lot of different words, but, but it is, you, I mean, you, you, People are copying you. They're watching your reactions. They're seeing how you handle different situations. And, you know, I love this. Uh, I think it was Ann Pankhurst that I first saw this. This I don't know who came up with it originally. But um, going from unconscious incompetence, which is basically like you, you, you don't know anything, so you don't know how bad you are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to then conscious incompetence when you, you get a little bit of information, a little bit of knowledge and experience, and then you realize how bad you are. <laughs> <laughs> and then the next stage is conscious <laughs> competence. And this is where I think most most players, you know, whether it's adults or juniors, as long as you're really focused and you're, you're, you're into what you're doing, you can perform, you can execute your, uh, your, your tactics, your techniques, whatever. And, uh, you know, but where we ultimately want to get to is unconscious competence. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, when I worked with Ellis Ferreira, um, he used to talk about this all the time and he would go up to players and sort of our, you know, higher level clinics and, and and just kind of try to have a chat with them while they were maybe rallying cross court. And he'd be like, uh, tell me what you had for lunch today. You know, how was class today? Da, da, da. Then he'd be like just chatting because he wanted them to be able to chat and still execute the shots they were supposed to execute. And then that would be unconscious competence, you know, and unconscious competence, you know, rather than as long as I'm really, really focused, I can do it. But can can you do it? And just make it look easy. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. That's the goal, I guess. That is the goal. Sure. Yeah, you know, if I can have a chat with you and still hit my backhand the way I'd like to, that that would be a goal. I can't do that. Oh, yeah. okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, so 
So I'm so excited that you are speaking. Um, the USPTA Alabama workshop is Saturday, August 18th, and we're going to talk um, more in depth, or you will, <laughs> about some of the things we've been talking about today. Um, is there anything else you wanted to, to leave the listeners with today, Neba? Um, no, no. I think I've talked a lot. Already. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, for more, uh, you know, come to the workshop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll be talking a lot. Yeah. A lot. <laughs>